Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25. Here's to the winning combination for 2023, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last. You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. Bazaar, give it go, Fiala, Deeks, shoot, scores! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Controlled by Dowdy for Fiala in the middle of Kopitar, who scores! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. We've got a pretty, pretty good episode for you today, Kings fans, if I do say so myself. I'm actually pretty excited to bring it to you. Zach Dewey and I got to talk to Phoenix Copley last week. Now, that was before the game against the Ducks in Anaheim, so keep that in mind while you're listening to it. I did get a chance to briefly ask Phoenix a question about the incident out there in Anaheim. Then Cameron Gaunt's defenseman for the Ontario Reign, joins me to crown a King of the Week and update you on the Reign's season. Hope you enjoy it, Kings fans. Joining us now, goaltender for your LA Kings, Phoenix Copley. How are you doing today, Phoenix? Doing good. How are you? I'm good. We are recording this on Thursday morning uh, after you and I hung out for three and a half hours last night. Yeah. That's all uh, it was, huh? Yeah, that's yeah. it. Just, just me and you, right? Yeah. Just <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to start with a sensitive question, and uh, you feel free to ignore it if you want, but um, do you hate Hawaii? No, why? <laughs> I don't know. Just in my mind, and I think a lot of other people's, there's like a natural rivalry between Alaska and Hawaii. Oh, I guess, yeah. No, I, I think that makes me like Hawaii even more being okay. from Alaska. It's like a band of brothers, I guess. Yeah, Hawaii right, and Alaska. Sure. The two kind of outcast <laughs> yeah, states. Yeah, exactly. Um, when was the first time that you actually visited the the main 48? Um, I was born in Alaska, and then when I was one, we actually moved to Ohio. So I okay. lived from when I was one until seven, and then when I was seven years old, we moved back up to Alaska, and then I was there until, well, my family still is there. Okay. I have spent two summers in my life working in Alaska, and I have found that the type of person who lives there, I don't know, it's just a very different choice. Yeah, it, it's a different breed of people for sure. They're very resourceful, very uh, independent, um, <clears throat> I think. Going up there, <clears throat> it's kind of a challenge uh, just going, getting through the winters up there. and um, So, yeah, it, it just takes, I guess, a certain acceptance that, you know, it's not going to be an easy winter. It's going to be cold and uncomfortable. But, um, yeah, I, I, I like the people up there. I've always enjoyed going back up there and seeing friends and family. What's the coldest it's ever been when you live there? One winter, we had a we have a thermometer at our house. It goes to negative seventy, and it was it was at negative seventy, <laughs> so it was around there, and that was unusually cold. But uh, every I would winter, say so. yeah. Yeah. yeah, every winter it gets negative forty Fahrenheit for sure, um, and then occasionally there'll be freak times when it gets even colder. But um, the winters up there are are not fun, and <laughs> they definitely uh, 
definitely challenging. Is there like a breaking point of like <laughs> once it gets to negative 20, it's just absolutely unbearably cold? Or can you feel the difference between negative 20 and negative 40 because you're that accustomed to it? You kind of just try not to go outside much. So it, yeah. you like, it, yeah, probably around negative 20, negative 30. It's like you just try not to go out there yeah. because it's not going to be comfortable. And so the only time you're really getting out there is going out to your vehicle. And a lot of times, a lot of people have auto start or everyone has to plug their vehicle in and the plug-in just heats the engine and keeps everything kind of warm because if you don't, it, you'll try and start your vehicle and nothing will happen because everything's frozen. So, is I, North Pole connected by roads or is it like one of those places you can only fly into? It's connected by roads, but okay. it's North Pole and Fairbanks are kind of like the North of Alaska as far as towns and that's right in the middle of Alaska. So up, up beyond that, it's kind of just nothingness. And then at the very top, there's uh there's an oil drilling town. That's kind of just a working town. There's not really many residents. So Fairbanks and North Pole are kind of like as far North as I guess civilization would go in, in Alaska. A few more about Alaska and then we'll get into other stuff. I promise. <laughs> when you're, a, when you're a kid growing up, and you have an interest in an activity, whatever it is, part of your ability to see yourself, you know, doing that activity into adolescence and, you know, your teen years and adulthood is connecting with a community of other people who do that thing. How do you decide living in a, in an isolated part of the world like that, that there might be a future in hockey? I can't imagine there's like a thriving vast hockey community in in these towns um hockey is actually pretty big up there um you know it's i think kids need something to do and and hockey is kind of the thing up there there's not obviously a whole lot of time for summer sports so summer sports while a lot of people do them they're not like the passion of of what kids are trying to do i would say hockey is the biggest sport up there so um there there is a good community but it's not as big as even like, say here, you have a bunch of teams to play if you're growing up up there. Um, Fairbanks has one team usually per age group. It, it may be two now, but when I was growing up, there was one team and then we'd play like the age groups above us and below us. And then we'd go to Anchorage, who usually had three or four teams. And so we, we'd have um, those teams to play and then we'd go out of state and like we would do tournaments in here in California. We'd go to like Chicago or Vancouver. We did some tournaments there. So it was a lot of traveling to play, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, people are pretty passionate about it. And there's two colleges up there that, that two division one colleges that, uh, we would watch. They used to have a professional team in Anchorage in the ECHL that recently folded. And then there's a couple of junior teams as well. So hockey is kind of like the, the entertainment as well as like what, what kids play and what, what kind of people dream about. The aces. The aces, correct. The aces, yeah. yeah. Um, 14 NHL players listed as being born in Alaska, including yourself. How many of the others do you think you could name? <laughs> yeah, I can try. Um, I'm sure there's a few that you probably would know pretty well. And then Is this so, a challenge? You want me to try? I was just curious. Like, I, I was thinking about it this morning. I was like, I could think of three in, in addition to you. I was wondering how many okay, you might I'll, know. I'll, I'll see how many I can come up with. Joey Crabb, Tim Wallace, Ty Conklin, Jeremy Swayman, uh, Nate Thompson, Scott Gomez. Dubinsky, Brandon Dubinsky, uh, myself. Am I at here? Eight. 
If you guys There's only one, one other guy on the list that I had heard of, um, but Ty Conklin was not listed on this particular list. So, oh, really? So yeah. that's 15. So that'd be 15. Yeah, I, I, that's that's what I come up with off the, off the top of my head. Only other game that I knew on this list was Matt Carl. Oh yeah, yeah. But you you got you got all the big ones. Yeah. Other than that, hockey fans are notorious for following anything that does hockey right if you're a youtube video and you mention hockey you're going to get a big wave of hockey followers if there's a movie that has hockey in it you're going to get a bunch of people watching that movie similarly any town city prefecture that has you know any sort of chip on its shoulder same thing like i'm from long beach california if there's a band that made it big out of long beach california well i love that band (laughs) if there's you know if it shows up in gone in 60 seconds the Nicolas cage movie hey the main character from long beach california i remember that for the rest of my life how big a deal is Mystery Alaska, um, the movie? <laughs> uh, that's I I loved that movie growing up. I, I think I mean, probably anybody from Alaska likes, likes the shout out. Um, but yeah, that that that's a great movie, and it kind of shows you know um, the. I mean, I guess the mystery of Alaska because you don't really know what what a lot of people ask me about Alaska, what it's like up there, what what goes on up there, how how does hockey up there, kind of like like you guys are saying so. Um, a lot of people, it's a good name and, and always enjoyed that movie growing up. It's inspirational. I think we can move on from Alaska. I think we covered. I think so too. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. No, it's a big state. There's a lot of, a lot it's to a big into state. There. Yeah. The biggest, I think, as far as yeah, I know. That's correct. Um, so you've played in a lot of different markets as a result of your career, but there's a, there's a, uh, rumor's probably not the right word, but there's an idea out there that playing in the NHL can sometimes be easier than playing in the AHL because all the systems are in place. All the you know everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing, doing and is actually doing it. Um, have you found that there is almost a, maybe not easier, but expectations are met on a more frequent basis in the NHL? Yeah, I wouldn't definitely wouldn't say easier. I would say. It's it's just a different challenge and a, a different animal. Um, in in the AHL, everyone is trying to work and work for that opportunity. Where up here, um, it's more mental. Guys, everyone here is really smart. Everyone can, here can make the extra play, so it might not be as choppy as as the AHL sometimes. Um, so I would say it's it's just a little more crisp up here, a little more you know plays guys are making are just that much more fast and smooth than than the AHL. What was weirder for you in your career when you were traded from Washington or back to Washington? Because it's probably it was probably pretty weird that you were kind of involved in two deals with the same two teams in the span of, of just a couple of years. Yeah, that that was strange in itself, but probably the weirdest part was the first time I was traded, I was out on a fishing trip in Alaska and it's a floating trip that I do with my family. So we're gone for five days and we're out of cell phone range. And it was for the weekend. And I, I believe it was a Thursday. We left Thursday morning and the trade happened on that morning, the Thursday morning. <laughs> so I was at a cell phone range. So I didn't find out until five days later, the first time I was traded because I was out fishing out of cell phone range. And so I, you know, the coaches and GMs were trying to get all of me and I, I had no clue. And so I found out later than everyone else, but that was the strangest part for sure. But then, yeah, when I got traded back, I was excited because I, I had a great experience in the Blues organization, but um, 
I had known everyone really well in Washington and I had created good relationships with the guys and with the goalie coaches there. So um, when I got traded back, I was really excited. Quick one about your family. I can't remember where I saw it, but somewhere on the internet it claimed your brother's name is Navarone. Is that true? (laughs) That's true. Phoenix and Navarone. That's a very Alaskan (laughs) grouping of names. Is there a story behind either one? Um. I my parents just wanted to get creative, I think, mm-hmm. and so they they had heard these names. Um, I think they heard Navarone's name. There's a movie called Guns of Navarone, mm-hmm. and I believe that's where they got that. And and so they, I think they just wanted to get creative, and you know they they heard names that stuck with them, and that's what they went with. Were your was your name the most misspelled growing up? Like, how often did people just switch the O and the E? Yeah, I think it still is the most. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, my parents definitely threw a wrench in things when they did that. Uh, my teachers always would always give me like, "Are you sure this is how it's spelled?" And I was like, "It's what's well, on my birth certificate." Yeah. <laughs> so. I honestly think I might misspell the city for the rest of my life. Now, like I think I think I'm now it's people. an E before O now for me. So you've played organized hockey in Alaska, Texas, Nebraska, South Carolina. I guess DC is it's in DC, but I, I don't. In my mind, it's Maryland, even though I know it's in between Maryland, and Virginia. But yeah, DC, Missouri, uh, California. Are hockey fans the same in every market, or are there regional dialects of being a hockey fan? Um, that's a good question. I, I think it's probably a little different everywhere, but it seems like everywhere has their group of passionate fans and. You know that's always special to see because you know a small town in Nebraska they would have a they had a, a good following their season ticket holders and their their fans were were passionate just like you know here we have a bunch of passionate fans and when I was at Michigan Tech um, the I students love there loved Sorry. it no that's okay <laughs> that's yeah, Pennsylvania too. I did yeah yeah Hershey was another place where you know they've got really passionate fans so it seems like everywhere you go there's like hockey fans have passion and that's that's really cool to see. I want to ask you a little bit about Hershey. It's, it's one of the most special, I think, minor league markets in the country, the history they have there. You know, what was it like? Was it Hershey, the team in Hershey felt like it's Hershey's NHL every time people talk about it. Did it feel like that? Did it feel like such a big deal when you were in Hershey to be playing there? Yeah, I, I consider myself fortunate to to play there for so long. They They have great fans and they treat the players really well and the expectation there is to win. It's like that's what they're they're all about is trying to put banners up in their rafters. So um, it, it's an awesome place to play, and and it's cool to see the history there. The team's been around for so long, and they've had a lot of good players come through there. So you know, going to the rink every day and seeing the the pictures and stuff, and and the banners in the rink, it was really cool, and, and it's in, it inspires you to really want to win more. And it's cool to have that kind of, I don't know if it's pressure or, or that kind of push to win. So it, it's a really cool place to play. And, and I'm fortunate I got to spend some time there. Mikey Anderson signed a one-year deal this past offseason and referred to it as betting on himself. You also signed a one-year deal with the Kings. And we spoke to you early on and as the season began to slowly unfold and you sort of echoed similar sentiments. You've recently been rewarded with an extension did 
does that phrase betting on yourself feel like maybe part of the thought process on, on when you joined the Kings organization? Yeah. I, I mean, I'd heard a lot of good things about this organization and the goalie coaches. So, um, you know, I, and, and it seems like, like from the outside looking in at that point, it looked like this organization, they're trying to win, they're heading in the right direction. And so, um, you know, I wanted to go somewhere where, where I could win and try and earn an opportunity. And so, um, this looked like a great spot. So, uh, that, that was kind of my thought process in the off season. And then coming up to this contract that I just signed, um, yeah, I would say it's more like kind of betting on myself. I want to give myself a chance to build my resume a little bit more. Um, and so, um, yeah. And, and we know when they, when they came to me with, with the offer, I was really excited because, you know, from the outside looking and seeing what looked like a team that's heading in the right direction then coming here and, you know, experiencing that, seeing the coaching staff and, and how everything is going and, and how badly guys want to win and how that's the focus, um, just reinforced what I had seen just and heard about in the off season. So I was really excited and I'm, I'm happy to be here. When you arrived on the team, it was under a circumstance that I've I've never experienced before. I've been a fan for I don't know thirty years or something, and a, and a, and a way in which I simply never would have predicted. Um, was there any additional pressure you put on yourself, or you felt from I don't know just the atmosphere in general, or or were you able to just treat it like another? Another game, another day, another set of pucks. Well, um, I mean, I had been working for an opportunity for a while. And so when it came, I it's kind of unpredictable on how it's going to happen and what the circumstances are going to be. So I tried not to really focus on that and just focus on this is the opportunity I've been trying to, to work for and to try and make the most of it. So I, I would say I wasn't really focused too much on the circumstances surrounding it. Yeah, looking back, it's kind of a strange situation, but... Um, I just wanted to try and make the most of any game time I, I got in this league. When I was in the AHL, one of the running jokes was just like, when you go on the road, never forget your passport because you never know <laughs> when the NHL team is playing in Canada and they might call you up and you don't want to be the guy who doesn't have their passport on them and misses out on the call up. When you're in the AHL, is kind of that an, an embodiment of the mindset? Like you're always working towards that NHL opportunity because you just don't know when it might come for you? Yeah, I mean, and that, that's it. But it's also a little bit of an interesting dynamic because you are on a separate team and you are trying to make the playoffs with the team that you're on and trying to win games with the team you're on. So it's kind of like, you know, you're there for the team, but you also want to represent yourself well and try and earn an opportunity. So it's kind of just handling that dynamic and making the most of both winning and being there for the team, but also putting yourself in a good position to get called up. But it definitely... You know, there's a, that is like always the thing, like make sure you have your passports, always. make sure you got, you know, things in order in case the call up happens. So you come from, if not a non-traditional hockey market, a remote hockey market. Uh, you're not drafted. You play in all these different markets. You've got that independent Alaskan spirit probably from your family. You're forging your own path in your career, but you're also an entrepreneur. Correct. Yeah. I started a tea and superfood company. Um about a year and a half ago that my fiance kind of runs during the season and we we've just been kind of um growing it's kind of a passion for uh for us that started uh probably four or five years ago in Hershey we were going to a farmer's market and getting these uh kind of the ingredients for some loose leaf teas some 
some peppermint, some daisies, some different stuff available at the market. And we were kind of making our own blends and just kind of as like a fun way to to hydrate. I was having some issues with cramping. And so we were just experimenting with different ways to fix that. And, um, and you know, I, I, it was helping me. And then the evening teas were helping us sleep. And so I was like, this is kind of cool. I think we could help other athletes, help other people with kind of what we're coming up with. So we started to dig into how we could make a company out of it. And um, yeah, yeah, we did. And it's called Athletes Apothecary. We have tea blends, uh, mushroom blend, and two superfood blends. I want to get back to Athletes Apothecary in a second. But what of all the markets you've played in, which one has the best farmer's markets? <laughs> Hershey has a lot because there's a lot of farmland around there. So they have all sorts of uh, farms. And, and we the team there had a good relationship with a cattle farm. So we got to kind of tour around and see how they do stuff there. And, um, and they had really high quality meats and stuff. So, um, and then obviously like the farmer's markets, they've got tons of veggies and all sorts of stuff. So, um, Washington had some too, but I think a lot of the stuff that was in Washington was coming from Pennsylvania. (laughs) So, um, I think just the amount of farmland in Pennsylvania probably makes, makes them have some of the best that I've seen. So I used to work for a company that delivered organic fruits and vegetables to homes and businesses in Long Beach, California. And every Wednesday morning, if you ever have a day off in Santa Monica, there's like the big, massive farmer's market. And it's incredible. What's it called? Uh, Santa Monica Farmer's Market, as far as I know. (laughs) But I mean, it's right there on uh, the 3rd Street Promenade and uh, I'm blanking on the streets. But it's... Stone fruits from, you know, you've never heard of it. It'll blow your mind. All right. Cool. Sorry, that's, that's enough. <laughs> well, that sounds interesting. I like yeah. that. So my first introduction to Athletes Apothecary, it was the first trip that you were on, the Canada trip. And you walked onto the plane. You had a Yeti that had the logo on it. And I was like, does this guy know that we're going for like a 12-day trip? He's going to have to carry this around the entire time. And then I started to see the photos on Instagram that the Kings post. And I was like, he's got the cup. Look in. It's like, there's a logo on the cup. And I was like, oh. This guy's actually brilliant because he's using the platform to market the brand. And I was like, he is playing chess. We're here playing checkers. Do you, how aware are you of that, that you can kind of self-promote a little bit just by carrying your coffee into the rink or your tea? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but at the same time, I, the tea is in there and I, like, that's what I drink during games. And, um, and then, you know, in the mornings and the evenings, I always have our nighttime blend. So I'm a big believer in, in what's in there. And so, uh, but yeah, definitely having the Yeti there with the logo, I guess, helps for <laughs> promoting stuff. But, um, you know, I, I try not to get too carried away with that because my, my first job is to play hockey and stop the puck. And that's just kind of a passion that, you know, um, my fiance are, are trying to grow organically and, and grow with quality. So um, I'm definitely good to get the, the uh, exposure, but at the same time, um, as I'm not like trying to throw in people's faces. I want people to, who are interested in that stuff to come for it and not like be pushing it on anybody. You say you drink it during the games? Yeah, I drink tea during the games. Is there like a performance? Is that what's in the water? Sorry, is that what's in the water bottle on your cage? It's, no, 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 no. (laughs) I have it in in the locker room. Okay. You drink like a hot, a hot tea? Yeah. 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 I find it's like just, just the heat itself is kind of like a calming effect, but the blend that I drink is a recovery blend with cherry and ginger and stuff that kind of helps with inflammation and kind of is just a good hydrating blend. Have you turned any teammates onto it? Yeah, I've, some some of my teammates have used it. A lot of guys in Hershey are still using it. Um, but uh, like I said, I'm not trying to push it on anybody, who, but a lot of guys who come and ask I, and they want to try it, I'll let them try it. And, and a lot of guys who've tried it have 
stuck with it and have really liked it. So, um, yeah, there's some guys using it. One final one from me. Why number 29? When I was younger, that number was given to me in youth hockey. And then once I got to pro college and pro and even juniors, like I was just kind of given numbers. So I wasn't really choosing a number. Um, and then when I signed here, they originally gave me number one because that's what I had in Washington. But I was, I asked them, uh, is there, is 29 available just cause that was the number that I had when, when I was a kid. And, um, I think Ferk had it last year and, and he had left and they're like, yeah, it's open now. So I was like, cool, I'll take that one. Excellent. Well, we know you've got practice and meetings and everything to do. So thank you very much for giving us a little bit of your time. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you guys. So what exactly happened in Anaheim? Um, I mean, it just kind of the, the emotions, I guess, were running high. And, um, you know, in, in a competitive sport, I guess that kind of thing can happen. Um, but, like, my thoughts on it, like, I don't want that to be, like, something I'm known for. But, but you know, just in the heat of the moment, that's what happened. And, um, yeah. Did you get sucker punched? A lot I did, yeah. I, I was looking one way and... Um, I think it was Vetrano just came in and kind of side, like punched me in the side of the head when I wasn't looking in that kind of, um, that was the second time he had done it in the game. And so, um, you know, typically I'll just turn the other shoulder and, uh, but, you know, I guess that kind of, that frustrated me. No, yeah, I honestly, I had no idea. He's like a super nice, calm person. Um, I never in a million years would have thought that he would do that, but I haven't seen it, but I can't wait to see it. Yeah, Jordan, yeah, Jordan Biddington fight too. I think oh, he did tell me about that yeah. back in the day. Yeah. So I knew he would do it. Um, but no, I'm glad he stood up for himself, and I'm glad that everyone on the ice stood up for him too. Time to crown a king of the week. Joining me to do so, Cameron Gons. How are you doing today, Cameron? Good, thanks. How about yourself? I'm excellent, thank you. Our most positively reviewed guest of all time, easily. Well, wow, my parents have been doing a great job. They have. Honestly, they have. From what little I know about you, I think they really have. All right, so you already know the uh, the format, so we're just going to hop right into it with your honorable mention. Okay, jump right into it. Yep. My honorable mention, um, as I'll kind of talk about as I go through each of these, there was a number of guys who were really kind of considered for this. So for this one, mine was Matt Roy. I found him and Sean Dersey probably could have been uh, they were neck and neck this. I thought they both had a very strong week. But I think with Roy getting uh, both those goals, I know it's as a defenseman doesn't score many goals, pointing to it <laughs> <laughs> usually just shows kind of sometimes what I'm missing. But uh, Roy having two goals and assists, he also had 12 shots in these three games, cumulative, and six blocks. Uh, I just found each game he was so strong on the rush defensively. His ability to nullify odd man rushes, and he just makes it look so easy. Um, and his goals... The goal against Buffalo, he had a wonderful one-timer when he stepped into the slot after making the play uh, down the wall. Um, it's such a hard play for the forward to have to react to, and he did a great job. And on the second goal, just he snuck back door in a situation where really there's no consequence. The worst thing that happens is because it was a delayed penalty, if the other team picks it off, it's not going to be coming back his way. So I thought by him going into that position was just a heady, heady move. And like I said, both him and Dersey were kind of considerations for the spot. But with how well Roy played against uh, Buffalo, I felt like that was uh, the edge for me. If you showed me the clips of both Matt Roy goals mm -hmm. and, you know, fuzzed out the numbers and the names and yeah. I didn't know who it was, you could have given me 20 choices <laughs> of guys on the roster that were – 17 choices yeah. of guys on the roster that were making that move. The first one 
K was a nice shot, but yeah. it was the pass yep. that really impressed me. I even said on Twitter he should be getting an assist for his own goal because that was an <laughs> incredible play. Yeah. And yeah, the second one, I had my eye off the play. I was sort of, it was at the pond, mm-hmm. at, sorry, the Honda Center. And uh, I saw the, it was, wait, or was it? No, it was last night. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I was wandering around. This is what mm. happened. I had the intermission report in the first intermission. So I was walking from the press box down to the spot. So I wasn't watching the game. Mm. And But I saw the play and I just saw somebody crashing the goal mouth and deflecting the puck <laughs> in. And I thought, oh, that must be one of the, you know, five forwards that are on pace for 20-something <laughs> goals. But no, sure enough, it was defensive defenseman Matt Roy. Yeah, it was Matt Roy. And like yeah. I talked about Jersey, he made, a again, a pass that – you might not want to make five on five, kind of a spin around across the across the offensive blue line, right to Kopitar. But it was a wonderful read, and Roy read it perfectly to go back door. So my uh, honorable mention is a player who came in second in points on the week, but I feel like is constantly should be an honorable mention for you know just for the work ethic alone, and it's Blake Lazat. Five points, two goals, plus three, sixty-eight point eight percent in the faceoff dot. And centering that third line with Kevin Fiala on it, and I've said it a dozen times, there are some games where I look and I'm just wondering to myself, is Blake Lazat the best player on this team? And at this point, it's clear that the answer is no, no disrespect to Blake Mm Lazat. But nobody works harder than Blake Lazat. Nope, and on a consistent basis, no. And and nobody outperforms his expectations more than Blake Lazat. Yep, your expression. Yeah, so, is based upon expectations. That is right. So that is my uh, that is my honorable mention, Blake Lazat. Your runner up this week. My runner up also with five points uh, was Adrian Kempe, uh, three goals, two assists, twelve shots. Um, did I get that right? I think I got that right. I'm looking at three points for the three games, oh. but it's tough to tell because all <laughs> of his games are getting. And last week we didn't. We did one King of the Week for the one game mm. against the Penguins on Dustin Brown night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way the calendar actually breaks down. Okay, but yeah, no, you're right. You're I'll right. let you cheat on. Because <laughs> regardless of his goal totals, yeah. uh, with 12 shots and the way he played, he was a threat throughout the games. Like Every time he touched the puck, whether it was on the rush, he's using his speed to push defenders back, which is giving Kopitar and Byfield so much space to make plays. And they made them. The other thing is he's becoming such a – bigger threat to shoot uh, earlier in the year i remember jim fox was on the show and he was talking about Kempe needs to have a more shot first mentality and other things will come from that and that's such a and that's exactly how he's been creating so much space for himself and other people on the power play having that one timer on the power play on that side gives everyone else that much more time and space to make plays when the other team has to flex out when that defenseman has to leave the net front all of a sudden other plays are able to get made and when you have guys like Kopitar, Fiala, now Gabe, and then Doughty out there. It's just too much time and space for everyone else, and that's predicated off Kempe shooting that puck. Like that goal, the goal uh, Kopitar scored against Anaheim, that slot's not open unless that forward has to cheat over to Kempe. But because because he has to cheat over, that little space in the middle is open, and Kopitar is able to get that off and score because of that. And I think just so much of... Kempe's game right now, whether it's whether it's a shot, whether it's a skating, whether it's how he's checking, everything's hard. And when he is someone as that big and strong and fast as he is, um, he's a absolute monster to control. And he's killing penalties. So I thought he was my runner up this week. I want to ask you about a phrase that I get that I hear a lot, mm-hmm. and I know what it means, 
but I don't know what it means. Okay. If that makes any sense. The phrase is streaky. Mm-hmm. And it's used in terms of players like Adrian Kempe. And I think even Todd McClellan has said out loud at like a post-game media availability or something, well, he's streaky. And I look at his goal totals, and sure, there are whatever, six or seven games in a row where he'll go without a goal, but he's on pace for 40? Mm-hmm. Can you be streaky if you're on pace? It's not like guys score 80 goals a year, right? Because yeah. like, in my mind, non-streaky would be a goal every game, you know, money in the bank. Yeah. So when I hear that expression, I reminded of when Phil Kessel used to play for Toronto. Mm. He'd have, again, similar numbers to like the 40 goals, but his would come in bunches. Instead of, like you said, it's not clockwork where it's one every other game. So then you're reaching 40, 41. It's more so he's got two one night. He's got three then a couple nights later. Then he'll go five or six games without it. What you try to find in that player then is, is are the chances still there? I think maybe when you say someone's streaky, it means that the chances aren't there during those other games. Whether that's because how the other team's playing him, they're doing a better job of nullifying it, they're game planning around him, or maybe the player just doesn't have the same feel for the game those nights. So a guy who's consistent as a scorer, they're probably someone who's always scoring kind of similar fashions too. Because that's the other thing with Kempe, he's scoring in different ways. So the streakiness, I believe, just comes from guys who get goals in bunches, who might not score for a bit, but then they're good for a couple in a night. It just feels like a like here's an uh, some examples of guys yep. that that I noticed never got the rap mm-hmm. of being streaky. Jeff Carter, nobody ever called Jeff Carter streaky. In fact, the phrase that would get tossed around is "all he does is score goals," which is a not true because mm-hmm. he does a ton more, and yeah. b just a poor choice of words because it implies that yeah that's it. That's all he does. But Jeff Carter's highest goal season was 20 you know he had 30 something the year that Kopitar got hurt I think 32 in 2016-17 Adrian Kempe had more than 32 last year and he's mm-hmm. on pace for way more than that this year nobody said Jeff Carter was streaky that's a you know that's a good point <clears throat> the only thing I can think of I doubt when people use terms like streaky they're actually looking at okay game one he had one goal game two he didn't <laughs> right. they probably weren't looking at that my guess is just when I hear someone who's streaky, like I said, it's someone who can score goals in bunches. All right. It's someone who has the ability, like a Kempe or like a Kessel when he was on Toronto, he's able to score one goal that night and you know he's not satisfied and you know that there's a good opportunity he's going to get a second, but then he might not score for another couple games, which I feel like isn't just him, it's everybody, but they have the capability of getting multiple goals in a night. All right. Sorry, I didn't expect to go off on that tangent, but I've got you here, (laughs) and uh, you're excellent for answering that kind of question. And my runner-up is a guy that the further we get into the season, the more and more the comparisons to Ziggy Palfi start mounting up. And now he's starting to accomplish statistical feats where you're like, oh, he's the first guy to do this since Ziggy Palfi. And you go, yeah, that that tracks. It's Kevin Fiala. Mm -hmm. Um like, full disclosure, Kevin Fiala is not my favorite kind of player. If I'm doing a fantasy draft, yeah. he's probably the type of player that I personally will take last. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's not incredible and mm-hmm. that he's not doing stuff out there that makes my jaw drop. Yeah. No, that's very fair way to describe it. And the Anaheim game, the, he's the type of player, and I'll reference Jeff Carter again, mm-hmm. um, where even when he's not scoring – you're getting out of your seat. 
because he's dancing through the offensive zone and making moves. You know, I had a conversation with somebody um, that works for the team, and we were saying, "I'm." And this is a perfect question for you, actually. He's so creative, but another word for creative is unpredictable. Hmm. And Tom McClellan always talks about the importance of being predictable, not only to your teammates, but to everybody else. How long do you have to play with a player like that before you can actually maybe start to guess that when he, you know, dances through the slot carrying the puck with him and does a, you know, a 360 yeah. and a toe drag in the middle of it. And then at the end decides I'm going to dish the puck, you know, 80 feet to the right, you know, when I wasn't looking there. I think when you don't get used to what he does, but mm-hmm. you become more aware that when he has the puck, the unexpected could happen. Like instead of when you're playing with someone who is predictable all over the ice, because that, that's the other thing, just quickly. When the coach says you want a player to be predictable, it means he wants to know what his work ethic is going to be like day in, day out. When he's on the defensive side of the puck, can you trust that he's within your system? Once he gets the puck with someone like Fiala in the offensive zone, unpredictability is fine. It's just the predictability within the system and within basically his effort levels. Um, And then when you talk about someone who is as unpredictable as Kevin, once he gets the puck, you don't fully get it. Like last night, he made the play where he went to his backhand in the offensive zone. I believe it was the third period. Maybe it was the first. It was down to that end where he picked up the puck around the dot on the on the right-hand side of the goalie. He made a fake to his backhand. Looked like he was shooting. Everyone thought he was shooting on his backhand, including the defenseman right in front of him. They pulled to his forehand, back to his backhand, around the defenseman. As his teammate, my guess is you're going to the net. You're thinking that shot's happening. But then when he pulls it back to his forehand, you need to be available for a pass. So I think when you play with someone like that, it just makes you more aware that you need to be available at all times. There is never a time you can just anticipate what he's going to do next. So you need to be reacting and need to be constantly aware that he could involve you in the play. Can you be uh, available but also uh, defensively responsible at the same time? Yep. That line did actually a very good job of that this week with uh, Lazat, Ifalo, and Fiala. They constantly were getting pucks, cycles, and the third man was either right on the dot or just above the dot and as an outlet. So not only are they an outlet offensively, they had a, because I think just before uh, Lazat scored in Anaheim, when it went off, when it went off Lazat and I follow had the shot from the high slot, they had a shot just before that with the exact same play. A little bit of a cycle. Their third guy was in a dot position as an available uh, outlet. But the other thing is if something gets turned over, by being in that position, you're in the defensive, defensively responsible spot. You can then either attack the puck to make sure to continue to hunt, or you can back out and create kind of what's what's uh, the terms used in hockey, a wedge, where you're between the two defensemen and force the puck out wide. So you can continue to be in that defensive position while maintaining offense, but when you're with someone like Kevin, just need to know, even if you're in a defensive position, he could find you. Well, three goals, three assists, six points, plus two. 30% shooting percentage. He's my he's my runner-up. Who's your king of the week? Well, my king of the week is Kevin Fiala. Okay. I, I felt like <laughs> sure. those last two games against against Anaheim and then last night, I thought he was the best player on the ice for both teams. Uh, his game against Buffalo was fine. Again, fine for him is You're better right. is better than most players, if, if I'm being honest. So that's him me grading him on a curve. I just thought he was the best player on the ice both nights. Like the moves he makes, the goal, like the goal he scored last night is not something guys can, 
do. Like that's not something his balance, his control through all these movements. He's like one of those unbelievable receivers in football that gets a pass thrown to them and they make this catch that just doesn't seem possible. And that's what he's able to do. Like when he has the puck in the offensive zone, what's been amazing me watching him recently is how he goes 10 and 2 with his feet. So he gives that like eagle play where his heels are basically touching and he protects the puck. He's getting pushed on, yet he's able to accelerate out of that turn. How he's able to do that, only certain, like the only other guys I can think of that can do that on a consistent basis would be McCarr, Skinner, Crosby, guys like that who go 10 and 2. And not only do they do that to kind of create a little bit less surface area for the other person to push on, but he also maintains his ballast and strength so much that when his first step out of there is actually an acceleration step, whereas most players first step out of that, kind of like a spin in if someone's doing um, figure skating, they're landing on an axle, they have to kind of gain their balance again. With him, it's right into an acceleration step. He skips it. So now he's able to create separation from the defender that shouldn't be there. But he's able to do that. And the plays he's made off of have just been outstanding. Um, he's been the catalyst for that line that's been dominating. That was the hard thing. I could have gone, kind of gone king of the week, runner-up, honorable mention, that whole line. <laughs> but I felt like he was the catalyst. He was the one that was dominating the most, getting those goals. Like you said, six points. He had 10 shots in those games. And the other thing about Kevin in those two games that really stood out to me is he didn't take any penalties. He's someone who plays on that edge, and that's another part that separates him from some of the other upper echelon players is he gets involved in the game. He's tenacious. When he's forechecking, when he's in a battle, if he feels like he's been um, taken advantage of in any way, you see it on his face. You see the fact that he's willing to get right back in there. And sometimes with players like that, they unfortunately take penalties. Now, with the Kings penalty kill, how good it's been lately, it hasn't been that that big a deal but the fact that he was able to stay out of the box for these last two games just is a testament to how well he was playing and how focused he was um it's something that i wouldn't take out of his game ever his tenacious uh, attitude but it's something he has to watch and he did that in these last two games i'm gonna back up quite a bit yeah um in your praise of kevin fiala because you used a phrase that i'm familiar with mm -hmm. but i'm not sure i know what you mean in terms of hockey you talked about the surface area yeah what what are you talking about? So so essentially, if the best way for me to describe it is if some if a forward is coming down on me, mm -hmm. and his body is directly in front of me, that means his entire chest is right in front of me. The second he turns his body to go to a ten and two, like where the heels touch, mm -hmm. you're all, talking about feet now. Yes, my feet. Yeah, pardon yeah. me, pardon me. When the player's feet then touch, he moves his weight to either the left or the right. Let's say the left. He moves his weight to the left. He puts his weight on his left foot. His right foot then comes behind him. All of a sudden, for me, the surface, in order for me to have the same amount of his body in front of me, I need to turn as well. Or else all I'm dealing with is the side of his body. Because he turns his body in a way that all that's available to me is his lead shoulder and that side of his body. It's a lot harder to try to stop someone's momentum when that's the only spot you have to hit or to keep in front of you instead of just a wide bit. Usually the guys in the NHL are pretty wide. The wide set of shoulders that's in front of you. That Keeping that in front of you is a lot harder than someone who's able to contort their body in the way that all that's now in front of you or beside you is his shoulder. It's kind of like a boxer. When the boxer's coming at you, most boxers aren't standing there flat-footed standing staring at you. They shift, they shift their shoulders 
they move, they stagger their feet so that the surface area for them that for you to hit them is smaller. There's not as big of a target coming at them. They're coming at you. They're trying to give you less to hit. Their shoulders are up. So they're ducking their head in between the term I believe is turtling and they took their, I know that's a different term in hockey, <laughs> but in boxing, they put their shoulders kind of up, put their head in there within that little area and try to come at you by turning their body a bit sideways. Not completely sideways, but enough that there's less of an opportunity for them to hit you. And that's the same thing when a guy like Kevin Fiala is playing offensively. When he goes to that 10 and 2, it alters where you're trying to hit. Usually if guys are just stop, start, you know there's their back, okay, there's their front, there's their back, whereas with him, because it's constantly changing, there's less of an opportunity for you to get their center of gravity stopped. This is why you should be hosting the show. Ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Uh, my king of the week, and unfortunately, Cameron, the correct answer, the okay. real king of the week. Uh, and it comes down to one moment, honestly. Oh. And it's Phoenix Copley. I was close to doing the same. <laughs> yeah. um, for years, uh, <clears throat> my dad and I have had this conversation of when a guy becomes a real king. Because, you know, every franchise has guys that come and go, and you you like them just fine. But at the end of the day... They came and went, and they don't mean as much to the franchise as a guy like Ian LaPerriere. So no disrespect to Ray Ferraro, but like Ray Ferraro was here in L.A., and I'm not entirely sure I could tell you a single game, a single play, a single goal. Yep. Ed Olchek, uh, Peter Klima, we were talking about in the yep. pop, you know, eight games for Peter Klima. And so we have these moments where we say, like, all right, that guy's a king now. Um, last year, Phil Deneau got in a fight against the Canadiens. For me, that was it. Uh, Victor Arvidsson had the hat trick in the comeback against the Columbus Blue Jackets. You go, okay, that's it. Fiala's had a couple nice overtime goals. That goal against the Ducks, maybe not last game, but the first game where he dropped his shoulder and drove through. Um, Phoenix Copley almost, <laughs> almost single handedly punching every member of the Anaheim <laughs> Ducks on Friday night. Um, and being challenged by John Gibson out at center ice, not to mention now he didn't get the win in that game because mm-hmm. the win rules in hockey are whatever the goalie, whichever goalie is on the ice when the game winning goal is scored, okay, gets the win. Mm-hmm. So Quick picked up the win and good for Jonathan Quick. He's got back to back wins. He's actually got more wins on the week than Phoenix Copley does. <laughs> um, but Phoenix Copley, uh, stopped, uh, 43 of 46 shots, 935 save percentage, 1.1 goals against in 100 minutes on ice and had a jaw-dropping moment for me. Um, and in a in an enemy building, even though it was full of Kings fans. Um, and I do want to talk about uh, what you and I talked about last night on the pregame show, which is the importance to a team when a goalie has a moment like that. But we'll get to that in a second because, like I said, Phoenix Copley, for me, is my king of the week. Yeah, and I can't. I can't disagree with you. I thought what he did was because I, I also had him down because his first game against Buffalo, he was excellent. 27 saves that night when the team might have not been playing at their best certain times of the game. You know, Grant Fuhrlein, it's not how many saves, it's when you make them. And he made the right saves at the right time. And he only let in, was it two goals that night? Mm-hmm. So it's not as if he was Swiss cheese that night either, but he was very good that night. And then going into the second night, he had a great first period. Had a good start to the second, and then that play, like you said, it means a lot more to a team than maybe on the surface. And he was able to do that, bring his team a ton of life, and the galvanizing, galvanized situation, really. He's beginning to show one characteristic that I will use to compare him directly to Jonathan Quick. 
play style I don't find to be that similar. Nope. Um, but when one of the things that always endeared me to Jonathan Quick right away was if the team won one to nothing, he wasn't taking credit for the shutout. Well, the team scored the goal. They picked up the And if they lost one to nothing, well, I got to be better. I got to do my part. I got to carry the thing. Didn't matter if his team was giving him tons of goal support or no goal support. It was always about praise the team, fault the individual. And, you know, had a chance to talk to Phoenix Copley, had a bunch of chances to talk to him. And it's an incredible story. And the impulse for us on the, you know, broadcasting side of the equation is let's tell this story. You know, I hear people out of market talking about, you know, Phoenix Copley, savior of the LA Kings season. And, you know, we like to tell nice stories and a guy who was signed, you know, on a one year deal and came in and through, you know, overcame adversity and blah, blah, blah. But every time you ask him, it's just, you know, I'm just trying to win games. I just had a chance and I took it. And you're like, all right, that's great. But, you know, pat yourself on the back a little bit. Yeah. But he won't. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, it's it's bang on for the guy who I've gotten to know a little bit. And it's one of those things that's so endearing to teammates because it's not phony. Like, again, hockey players might not <laughs> – I've been saying this lately, but might not have the most emotional intelligence, but they can usually they can spot a phony. Uh, someone who's not genuine in their actions. And Phoenix is someone that when he says stuff like that, it's not like an aw shucks, oh, just some kid from <laughs> North Pole who happens to be very good. Like, no, he's someone who legitimately believes that. He is someone who works as hard as possible. And when he does all these things, he's not doing it because oh, I'm having such... He does this because this is his job. He's a passion for hockey. He's a passion for being the best he can. And when he experiences some success, it's not going to alter how he goes about his daily routine. It's not all of a sudden going to change how he acts towards anyone. He's not all of a sudden going to be a different person. He's the same person. And I think that's something that's endearing to his teammates. Have you uh, been turned on to his tea yet by him? I have. I yeah. was not a guy who drank tea. I'm like... My wife will be the first one to tell you she has been, uh, she drank tea for a long time. And I always, that's just hot water. Like what's the, what's the hot water? And there's, you just add something to it and it's not. That's like 90% of hot drinks. I, well, uh, here's the other thing, like that I'm a bit, a bit sociopathic. I basically only drink water aside from. Like a thing like BioSteel. I'm looking at it. It's BioSteel, but this is, this is just water with a bit of powder in it. All right. Um, so the idea of just making the water hot just never <laughs> I, I just didn't I didn't grasp it. So when Phoenix kind of came in the room, he has his uh, tea company and he was explaining some of the science behind some of it and why he does it. And if you ever get the pleasure of seeing Phoenix shirtless, you'd realize that <laughs> if there's something he's doing, I, I'm in. Yeah. So um once he kind of explained the reasoning behind it all, I tried it. I'm not adamant. Like, I'm not doing it all the time. But I'll, I'll take the uh, nighttime one sometimes. All right. Well, congratulations, Phoenix Copley. <laughs> this week, King of the Week. Do you have a few minutes for us to talk about the rain real quick before 100%, I let you go? 100%. How is – so last season, the rain had an incredible regular season, disappointing postseason. Yep. This season, I wouldn't go so far as to say disappointing regular season, but mm -hmm. not as impressive as in the regular season. Yeah. But do you feel like maybe the team is better fit for the postseason or yet, or do we have to get there to find out? 
It's a good question. It's the first question that I'd probably be asking as well. This year, I don't know if we're better in the sense of more prepared on paper. I think we'll just be more battle tested come the playoffs. We faced, we have faced adversity throughout this season just because we might not have as high powered a team as last year or as deep as team as last year. So we've had to face adversity a lot earlier and we've had to deal with some things in terms of gameplay, in terms of uh, the opponents we've faced that we maybe didn't have to deal with last year. So when we all of a sudden were faced with a bit of adversity as a group, we weren't quite as strong as we should have been. Whereas this year, I feel like we'll have those that scar tissue that's kind of built up as the season's gone on, which you really need. And I feel like a lot of the players in our team are learning how to play the proper game. Like if you look at recently, we've been down in games and yet we're still able to come back and win. It's that resiliency that I think we didn't quite have as often last year because we'd get out to leads. So I think we're going to be better better served come playoff time. I'm going to ask you about one player. Last night you joined me on the pregame show uh, mm-hmm. against the Arizona Coyotes. We talked about Tobias Bjornfoot. We've had you on twice now to analyze the World Juniors. We've talked about all the players there. There's a player the Kings drafted in the fifth round. And when they drafted him, all the rhetoric was this guy was a steal in the fifth round. And I got to tell you, my eyes went straight to the back of my head. And I said, nobody has any idea <laughs> what they're talking about when they're talking about steals in the fifth round. Yeah. There's too many guys. There's too many rounds. After, like, I don't know, the 10th spot, your rankings are kind of arbitrary and kind of silly. Yeah. But Martin Kromiak... Joined the Ontario Reign this season. I don't think he played much early in the season. Yep, because things beyond his control. Right. right. Joined the lineup, maybe got off to a slow start, and now every time I'm getting the email updates from Jared Chaffron who covers the Reign, or every time I'm at the game or watching the game, I see his name. He's on the he's on the score sheet. I think he's got 22 points in 32 games or something like that. You've been out of the lineup for a while, but yep. you've played with him, yes? Yep. What do Kings fans really need to know about Martin Kromiak, never mind the fifth-round draft slide? <laughs> I, I love all that stuff about the fifth-round draft. Like I, we, we had him slotted much higher. Every right. pick is we had him drafted. We were just lucky that we were able to get him. Of course, every team says that. Sure. Um, with Martin, what, he, what you get from him, uh, he's exceptional with the puck. Like His shot is something that really separates himself, even from NHL players. His ability to get it off on – he can shoot off both feet which means the goaltender can't be prepared and anticipate when the shot's coming. The It's a heavy shot, so it's coming off a stick hard. It comes off a stick quick as well. And what he's also been able to realize lately is he's been manipulating his speed a bit more than he did previously. So when he would get on get in rushes before, it would be a skate as fast as he possibly can, try to beat the defenseman wide, or skate as fast as possibly can, make a pass. And that's fine to do. And it works sometimes, but when you're playing against defenders who maybe start reading that or start understanding that, okay, this one speed, you don't have to, the defenseman doesn't have to alter his speed either. Um, it might not have as high of a success rate. Where Martin recently, the last night he did it and ended up getting a breakaway in overtime because of it was, not, I wouldn't call it a stutter step, but just he started skating up ice, created a bit of space for himself, slowed down, so then the defender had to slow down as well. Then he put his foot back on the gas and got by him. And what he's realizing is just he's kind of seeing where he fits in the pro game as well. Um, but I think if if I'm a Kings fan, what I'm looking to is the fact that Martin's able to score goals at every level he's been at, which is, I think, the hardest thing to do in all of hockey. And he's continuing to do that in the American Hockey League. 
when he had a start to the season with some health issues that other guys just haven't had. And he's been able to persevere, get through it. And he's someone who works at his craft. He's asking questions. He's trying to get better in the other areas. Because with him, it's he can learn about the defensive side of the game. He can learn about some of the positioning aspects. But with everything else, it's just you don't want to screw up just how good he is with the puck. You don't want to take away any of his creativity. You don't want to take away his flair. And he's got things that a lot of guys in the NHL, he's got stuff that top six players in the NHL have in the sense that he's got the shot, he's got the speed, and he's starting to realize different ways to give himself some openings. 14 of his previous 19 games, he's got points in. Sounds about right. That is not streaky. Yeah, <laughs> that is that is consistent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cameron Gantz, listen, thank you so much for joining me. I feel spoiled every time I get a chance to have you on the show. If I could control your schedule, I'd have you. I would make you the permanent co-host of this show. For I mean, honestly. Would love to. Love being on. Thank you very much. Of course.